Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Disciple Nations podcast. We're in season two, Sam. It's amazing. It's been so long. Yeah, Jason did a great job yes. hosting. And so I'm going to try this. We, we use that phrase, following the breadcrumbs, right. don't we? Right, that's right. So I get one shot at hosting, and we'll see where we go with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how you go. Yeah, you may make it, you may not. And so even as you guys listen, one of the questions I've always had is, who talks louder between the two of us and mm-hmm. who talks faster? Wow. Well, maybe we could have a poll yes. online and people could decide. Maybe. Either way, it's dysfunctional how it we is. talk. So, yeah. so um, we're hoping you'll enjoy this. We're yeah. going to um, talk about prayer today. And um, Sam, your heart's been about prayer for, for many years. We'll talk about the history. But even you've been preaching about this word, house of prayer. Can you, When you say house of prayer, where does that come? Yep. And what do you mean when you say the church should be a house of prayer? Yeah, that's good. That's lifted up out of the scriptures. Uh, Matthew 21, uh, 12 through 14 has Jesus at the end of his ministry uh, coming into the temple. He's turning over tables and the compromise that's going on. And then he speaks in verse 13, uh, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then it says the blind and lame came to him and he began to heal them. And so there's something different going on than verse 12. Verse 12 is all this compromise and the money changers and selling religion. Jesus cleanses it, makes the proclamation, and then he sets up a presence-based healing kind of culture. And he's really quoting out of that Isaiah 56, 7. Right. So 700 years earlier, um, Isaiah had said in verse 7, these I will bring, talking about the Gentiles, to my holy mountain and make them joyful um, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So we get the phrase from the Bible. We get the phrase from the Old Testament, Isaiah, and from Matthew 21, Jesus' declaration. So, And so that house, where was that? the context of Isaiah? Was that really talking about the temple and the tabernacle about then and this culture of prayer and worship that was going on? Right. It would have been, um, you know, its roots are in David who set up worship and prayer, but it's in Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant, the, you know, the, the centerpiece in the temple was all right there in Jerusalem. So that's what, that's what he's talking about. And that's what Jesus was engaged in. And so your heart really has, again, been been in prayer. So let's we're going to go back and then we'll, we'll revisit some yeah. of what, what was happening in Wichita. So um, I know you got saved, you said, at age 10. Yeah, right. And, and your words, you said, instantly you loved the Word of God. You loved the Bible. But then where did this thing of prayer start hitting your heart? How old were you when you first really learned about prayer? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, You know, I by the time 12, I'm feeling called to the ministry. But I, my main interaction with the Lord is reading the Bible, which is hearing Him. And I remember I'd pray a little bit here and there, but it really was in age 18, my freshman year mm-hmm. of college. I got a hold of a, hold of a book uh, called Celebration Discipline by Richard J. Foster, who was in Wichita for yeah, quite some time. Yeah. And so I read that first chapter about meditation, and I thought that was a new age term. And then I find out, oh, it's everywhere, Joshua, and the calls to meditate mm-hmm. on the word. And he challenged uh, my spiritual life in being able to wait on the Lord to take a passage, a miracle situation, or uh, some interaction Jesus had, and to begin to meditate on that and with a sanctified imagination, if you will, yeah. to meditate and focus on that and really. Really what happened was I learned how to be still. And as I was still, 
Um, I started to if, sense his presence stronger, and his presence had always been with me, but I was more tuned in and sensed his presence and felt him communicating mm-hmm. with me, yes, through the word, but just personally began to talk to me. So that began, prayer is just basically dialogue yes. with the Lord. It's it's talking about there not being a monologue, but a dialogue. And so here I began that in my freshman year of college. And what's interesting, I, I mean, you're a high energy guy. So yeah. what was, being still, what did that even even mean when you say be still yep. is that something like I, I'm not moving at all or what does that mean to yep. be still I would sit in a chair a rocking chair I needed a rocking chair yeah. in, in my dorm room but it meant me physically being still but it was more than that that wasn't the primary problem of my busyness it was it was settling my mind down and my emotions with an extreme focus, an exaggerated focus on the scripture or a, a story, a Bible focus, okay? So I would, it, my mind's just constantly going. I know yours is too. Yes. And we're thinking, thinking, right. and I started to learn to discipline my mind and my emotions. I've read some writers that talk about our emotions and our thoughts sometimes are like undisciplined children. Yeah. So I began to get still on my insides and focus on his presence. Yeah, and so when I one of the thoughts that when I talk with people about prayer, often um, the way they've seen prayer, it's boring. Yeah, and what you're talking about, this isn't praying some list. No, it no. was an actual dialogue with the living word. And yes. so did so as you learned that, did even your ability to read the word and just did that even grow? Well, yeah, but, it increased my sensitivity. I, you know, just like you know, I grew in a relationship with my wife through the years. I just my sensitivity to her, my hearing of her. You know what I mean? It was at some level at the beginning, then it got better. Same thing for me. And my heart, as my mind got focused and wasn't such a clutter, I learned how to do that then kind of not just when I was sitting in my room with the lights out. Yeah. <laughs> I could do it during the day at lunch or something, something the spirit would touch my heart and I, I could suddenly, I had a discipline of getting still. So I feel like this is so the scripture, wait upon the Lord or be still right. and know I'm God. And that knowing increased in my heart and it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. You remember any of the first passages that even, did you remember that first marked you from the beginning? Did, yeah. Was there any passage that really hit you in prayer? That's a great question. I I, I don't, not really. I mean, some gospel stories. Yes. Like I, one of my favorites is Mark 5 where the woman, I would pick picture her he's one a dad's taking him to go heal the daughter remember and then the woman they're pressing through the crowd people bumping into him and the woman presses through and touches the edge of his garment and power comes out and she's healed and Jesus feels power. You know, the whole story comes out. And and that that story is so visual. you got an anxious dad, kid over yes. here, my, and the crowd, and then touches and powers manifest yep. as he's healed. I remember thinking about that story a lot. Yep. And just the power of touching Jesus, because so many people were bumping into him and yep. not having an experience. And I was like, I want to be one that touches him and really receives yep. his life in me. I've always thought of that when I tell that story. I love that, too, of the mosh pit. Yeah, right. I, I kind of picture there's a mosh pit right. around, and it's amazing that Jesus was so sensitive. Was yes. it? How many people had touched him? That's right. And then yet one person in faith touches and that was the power. He said, someone touched me and Peter or somebody says, what? A right. lot of people have touched yeah. you. So that's a great story. Yeah. So so that kind of was your, you developed a, a heart for prayer. Yeah, right. And then was there a moment where you actually said, no, this is actually something I'm being called into. Can you remember a shift? You're like, wow, I need to be about prayer, interact with people, teach on prayer. Was yeah. there a... It's a good question. The, 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 the journey 
kept evolving from there by getting Larry Lee's, Larry Lee wrote a book uh, called Could You Not Tarry One Hour? It's about the Lord's Prayer. Okay. And in it is this, you know, the, the declaration by Jesus, when you pray, say, when you pray, pray this way. And I started, I would say my first call to not only prayer, but being teaching prayer and seeing it as a big deal was seeing it through the scriptures. Yeah. And then I'm I'm buying every book I can by E.M. Bounds and Andrew Murray. And I was just so drawn Raven to those. Hill, right? Raven Hill, yeah. And I do that. But then Amy and I, our first year of marriage in uh, 18, in 1989, 1990, she has a dream one night and we're just, you know, past Baptist people, you right. know, but, but uh, she has a dream and it's just really uh, clear of me coming out of a cave with a bunch of people. And she hears a voice that she in her heart senses of the Lord yeah. that says, he who prays will lead. And I was like, she wrote it on a note. I was going to college that time. I open up my little lunchbox or whatever, and I see the note from her midday. And I'm like, oh, and it just hit my heart of like, oh my, my leadership. I felt called to lead, but that it was in the context of prayer. That he who prays will be the one leading. So I knew then something's up. <laughs> that my life was going to be about and called a ministry that felt at 12 was going to be uh, in, involved in this activity of prayer. So then you moved to El Dorado. Yes. We get to El Dorado. And um, we have a church plant that begins to grow and some things are happening. And Daniel 6 is burning my heart. I'm reading more and more of those books. I didn't read how to build a church yeah. books. I don't know. They just didn't interest me. What interested me was people who had been in the presence of God and were prayers or revival books. Yes. About the Welsh revival. Yes. And start seeing all these revivals, transformational moments in city involve prayer. So... Um, I'm reading Daniel 6 in about 1993, 94. I'm just convinced uh, that I should call our faith community, this church I'm in, to th uh, three times a day prayer. Daniel bowed before the Lord three times a day. That's what gets him thrown in the den of lions because he won't stop doing that. But he'd bow down, face the east, and give thanks three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, which really became a Jewish practice even up to the time of Jesus that they would, they would pause morning, noon, and evening to pray. And so... I thought that's more than individual. Let's call our people to that. So we started doing that. We'd pray at 6.30 in the morning at noon, and we'd pray at 5.30 and added worship to that for multiple years, thousands of prayer meetings. Did did people come right away, or was that something did you have to teach? I, you know, again, yep. you, you pray, we've talked, they're the often the least attended meetings. So did people join you right away? Or they was did. It? You know, I had, we'd been built some relationship with people and had some um, yeah, so I was. I, I would preach Daniel six. I would preach about places where there's a call to much prayer, pray without ceasing, and I could show in the in the Book of Acts where they were praying together. So we didn't just add one prayer meeting; yeah. we added like fifteen to twenty one prayer meetings a week. And um, and uh, I had a, a little remnant of people. I'd have maybe five to ten a morning. You know, you'd have actually smaller at noon because people were work. I had three to four, five, seven. We just pray, and the evening ones were the most well attended. You'd be anywhere from ten to 50 people, you know, it grew because we started adding worship to that. So it was a, a, a start of a beginning of people, but I preached and taught. I was discipling people and some people came along for the ride and actually did it with joy. Yeah. And so that was kind of through the nineties. Yes. And then you received another kind of a word of encouragement. We'll talk about what, what right. we mean later. We'll probably do a podcast. Well, what you're speaking of is like, yeah, I'd have interactions with people who would speak and to me speak spiritually and inspired. And the context of multiple of those was in the context of prayer. And you leading prayer. Yeah, me leading prayer and being involved in prayer and stirring the body of Christ to prayer. So I always knew it just kept increasing. This is a call in my life. And clearly there was something greater happening than just here in El Dorado. This oh, is yeah. something that Jesus is doing on the planet. Oh, and, 
and raising up lots of people lots that of are hearing the same very and so very in, same thing. Yeah, so years ago, and so then you you came to Wichita a yep. little bit, and then but mainly you've been in El Dorado these last twenty five right. years, just praying, mm-hmm. and then something just shifted in twenty fourteen and fifteen. Didn't That's it? right, it did, it did. We were in the middle of coming to Wichita for the second time. That's part of the history in uh, twenty fourteen. Yep. My brother Tim, who's been significant in m- m- my spiritual life, and I and his, um, but he had a dream one night. Uh, again, another dream, and it was just unusual. You know, he wasn't trying or seeking, but he hears the Lord say something. A faceless man who he feels like is the Lord says, um, there are uh, basically there's 10,000 people bowing at different altars in Wichita that will mm. one day bow at one altar. That's that's the deal, that there was going to be a unifying of a bunch of separated people. And um, he intuitively knew that it meant the house of prayer yeah. in Wichita. So that's October 2014. And so we were like, hmm, what do we do with that? I was meeting with 25, 30 yeah. people in a restaurant over yeah. here. You yeah. know, no people kind of in Wichita. But that's there's nothing going on really here except little pockets of prayer. Yeah, and I remember that was the first time we met that fall. And I remember, yeah, thinking I had been in the city lots of years and kind of knew the ministry. And I, when the first time I thought, yeah, I've never heard of you, Sam. And right. you, you didn't know a lot of people. Largely back underground. I'd met some people through the years here and there. But, well, man, I'd just been in the prayer room and in El Dorado. It's interesting how, isn't that a principle, though, of Scripture, that <clears throat> that God does prepare often in the secret place for years, doesn't so. he? Yes, that yeah, he does. definitely. And, so he was... and one, of the, yeah, one of the words to me in my life was about David, who basically had the anointing but not the platform. And for yeah. 20 years, he's running. He's really going to be the king, but he's running from Saul, and he's getting prepared to yeah. be the king. So he was preparing you. So you go to, <clears throat> to Asia, right? This right. was April 15. Talk about that story and, yeah, and this so phrase. In eight, March or April of 2015, so a few months after Tim had the steal, Steve Miller, our friend yeah. running China Harvest, invites me to go to a gathering in May um, to uh, Seoul, South Korea, which is a core of prayer yeah. in the earth. And I wasn't thinking that, but I go there. I meet with these underground missionaries that had smuggled millions of Bibles into North Korea and China, had suffered glorious two or three days. Then we we go into the DMZ and get into North Korea yeah. and pray. And then before I came home, I went up and to China <clears throat> and met with some uh, house church leaders. And that last night there, Steve and I are reminiscing because we've both been around long enough, 25 years of the Lord speaking to our hearts about Kansas and various things. And we're just reminiscing about that. And in that moment in the hotel room. And as I was coming home um, from China, the Lord forms that phrase in my heart. There are global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. And and it just, faith rose. And I, I was so excited about North Korea. We're still focused there. But it became secondary to me coming home and beginning to try to find prayer pockets yeah. in L, in Wichita and around the area, little groups of tens and twenties that were praying to say this word to them. I felt like the Lord said, there's a real importance on what we do with prayer in Kansas. So that's what led to that. And so we gather, you called me, I was at World Impact back then yep. and leading prayer there. Um, some key pastors that we knew. Yes, and Dennis and Stan are like already gathering pastors. Donna Lippold's Don praying. Donna Lippold's praying. Nick, Nick praying. there was a lot. They Josh Engel. A lot of people have been praying and, for decades. But maybe just hadn't had a rally of some unifying. Right. There's been a little bit of that. And so you do, we meet at Great Harvest. Could you tell already in that first meeting or two, something was happening? Or did yeah. it take a little bit to get some momentum? I, actually, I would go these meetings like Stan and uh, Dennis over at Christchurch, which was East Side at that time. But I just kind of burst in. Somebody told me about their prayer meeting. Yeah. I went in, four or five of us are praying. And then at the end, they're like, what are you doing here kind of deal? And I tell them this story. Yeah. And I'm just, I would say this, that honestly, I was surprised 
immediately people started responding. Because here's what I would say is, I feel like there's an importance that there's an increase of unified prayer. Would you be open to this? And I sensed a rising tide of grace for United Prayer because we would say, stay faithful to your prayer ministry. We love it, these small prayer meetings, but should we have some moments where we all come together in the church? And everyone was like, yes, we should do this. So we, for six months from May or June-ish, to October, I uh, gathered leaders periodically. You were part of some yep. of those meetings. And we ended up having our first citywide prayer meeting at what was First Baptist downtown. And we're in that building right now. We're in the building now. It's City Life. Um, but we had the first, Steve Taves opened it up where 70 leaders met in the little chapel yeah. there. And it was like heaven had come down. It was. We prayed, didn't we do, uh, prayed for the Egypt. We had, yeah. had a moment. There was an Egyptian leader, Egyptian an Israeli elite. leader there. We got them in the middle. It was amazing. We prayed for international stuff for our city. And we started to pray for the revival of the church and the redemption of the yeah. city. And I remember you asked, should we do this again? Yeah. And it was like, yes. yes. We kind of roared. And so then we did again, had a, maybe two or 300. And then it just We seemed- opened it up to the city from leaders. Yeah. And then, yeah, two, 300. And then uh, again and again. And just, man, I remember by May or something like that, we were at Eastminster. Presbyterian we started moving around to churches and there was 500 people showed up on a Thursday night to pray for the revival of the church redemption of the city it was just amazing and we realized okay God is doing something yes. in the city yes and so that was 16 we've had 22 22 of these yep that move around to churches and we've been to a couple schools friends and Trinity and Coke Arena and Cessna football uh, yeah Cessna. We've three times been to WSU WSU but again, the goal you have to say is not these big meetings. That's right. And so what we want to maybe spend the rest yep. is now to talk about what it means to be a house of prayer. What is a culture prayer? So if how do you join the prayer movement, Sam? I love how you answer that. Yeah, people, is it showing up on, on... Yeah, you can come to the meetings, but what I'll say to people is uh, go start a prayer meeting in your church, in your neighborhood, in your home. The prayer, the prayer movement, uh, I told some people, Louis Palau's son, I always forget the name, they're in Seattle or somewhere, had some kind of gospel movement that was called City Serve or something. And they really, it was a powerful deal, gathered a lot of churches, even government officials. And that, that got them curious after that kind of went... Uh, uh, weighing down, they started studying uh, gospel uh, city movements, I think they call them. And so they had heard of Wichita up there. And so they called me and Dennis and said, hey, can we interview you guys? Because that's what they were doing. And so we did a two-hour interview with them and about the nature of the prayer movement at three years at that point it happened. And during the movement, I or during the, the interview, I said the phrase, yeah. we've not raised a dime or spent a dime. Yeah. And so after a two-hour meeting, all they wanted to go back and talk about, can we go back and talk about what you yeah. said there? Why'd you say that? Because most of these movements in cities, they get a 501c3, they get a staff, and we all were like, that's okay, but you're not going to do that, it sounds like. And Dennis and I just affirm strongly, we're never going to do that because we don't believe the prayer movement, this series of meetings, is the house of prayer. The house of prayer is the church of the living God. It's the church of the living God. So what does it mean to have a culture of prayer? How would you, what does that mean? If I'm a pastor in church and you ask me to have a culture of prayer, I don't know, what, what does that mean? That's a great question. I, I don't think it can be determined by how many meetings you have or what style of prayer you have or how many days in a row. That's not really the point. We're, we're talking about a culture change, a heart change. So you've got all through your scripture uh, prayer happening and you've got 
Paul saying pray without ceasing, um, it really means, I think, shepherds and saints alike that are having a full culture heart shift, that they're actually interacting with the Lord through every decision, every time they meet, every time they do. They're using prayer more than a bless what we're really doing, the real work. Yeah. They're really in the midst of dialogue. We got to use the phrase. It's a kingdom dialogue yes. with the king, yes. not a ministry monologue for the king. And I get the sincerity of this ministry monologue for the king, but I mean it monologue because we're just asking for a little blessing on us working hard where we're primarily a house of planning, not a house of prayer. Right. And so we want to be, God wants always from Garden of Eden through the tabernacle in the, in the, in, with Moses, he's always longed for and searched for, I want to be with my people. I want to dwell with them, with my leaders, and I want to be in a constant dialogue. You see this, the apostles, Jesus is, is doing this. He's only doing what the Father's doing. So it's really a spirit of sonship where we're moving in the spirit and we're constantly in that dialogue with him, worshiping, praying, and moving out in mission. So, so, uh, how do we how do we do that? What's the the process? We, we obviously correct. it is a miracle, but yes. what are some practical things? Because I, it it just if we're honest, it is hard to pray. Yeah, it's sometimes it's just hard to every day yep. show up, and it feels like when I do ministry, that's something I can do. Right, and sometimes prayer we don't see the results right away. Right. So how do we start this culture? How do you see yeah, that happening? I think, again, we respond, first of all, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I don't mean that lightly. The Holy Spirit is more committed to this than anybody on the planet. Yeah. And he's actually, I think we submit to his leadership and we understand his zealous intention to get this done. We've made this point. You've heard us talk about yeah. it. That The word here is, I sh my house shall, shall be called a house of prayer. Not it should like it, sh we should pray, but most people operate under the ought should. I should pray. We should pray more. People listening to this will go, oh gosh, my church should pray more. I, that's good. And I want them to know they should, but there's more than a should here. There's a shall. There's a, there's a shout. There's a prophetic sovereign commitment of the Lord that the house that he has, which is his people, not a building any longer. Mm -hmm. It's his people. We're the temple. They will be a house of prayer. So I say that to say is I'm operating in this with um, faith-filled confidence, this is where we're going. Yeah. This, that why were people agreeing with me about prayer or whatever? It wasn't because I was convincing. It's because the spirit in them has already been wooing and moving people. So how we get there begins with responsiveness to the leadership of the spirit underneath the sovereign declaration of his word, built with faith and confidence. And then we begin to pray and move out from that. Um, so I think I want to say that. That's really important. Yeah. Then we need leaders that are actually responding to the Acts 6-4. Yeah. So the church grows. You remember that. It's growing. Lots of people are being saved. And by the time we get to Acts 6, I don't know how much time's gone by. It's in Acts 2. But there's a lot of widows that have been saved and are being taken care of. They're taking care of the widows and the poor. And they're getting so busy, they begin to appoint the deacons. And they say that they're going to do this because... So, so, so we uh, give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And i that's the apostolic priority. Yes. I, I mean, as much as they wanted the widows fed, they got guys full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. I mean, they, this is a spiritual thing, feeding the widows. Mm -hmm. But for the apostolic, for the leadership of the church to hold the line on Christianity going forward, they need to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And I would say in that order. I mean, I've, I've made the comment, yeah. what if we, 
asked for the same level of excellence in prayer from our guys and gals that go to seminary as we do in doctrine. Because the ministry of the word, we want that. We want good word. I'm pro ministry of the word study, but we're studying and pra- we're studying and getting doctrine together way more than we're praying. And so, I th- when I think of this, then you're answering great. Then what's the vision? I mean, why am I? What what is happening in this hour? Yeah. Why is God raising up so much prayer right now? Yeah, and and that is happening. And as you're referring to, um, I heard a guy quote uh, those that studied prayer said 1985 there were 25 known 24 seven prayer ministries in the earth, and most of the most of them are in Asia. They're in like uh, South Korea and China. Yeah. But today they think countable 20,000 20,000 right? 25. plus 25,000. Um, unconnected really even many of them you know that are that are 24/7 that's not counting city prayer movements causing growth of prayer in churches i'm telling you we got the greatest global prayer movement ever happened in human history with the greatest mission movement we're about to get the gospel you know to every people the scriptures translated and so knowing what hour we're in i think it's happening because of decades of people laboring yes. but because we're hurling toward the end of the age jesus is coming back to an earth that has all heard the gospel, and he's coming back to a bride that loves him, praying, and worshiping. He's coming back to a bride that's calling out for him and really wants him, so the nations are going to pray and they're going to worship. So this is something clear. It's a sovereign act. He's it's, doing it. It's an it. eschatological sovereign act. And so we're just participating already what is in his heart. Exactly. And I think that's when I've talked to people, they they feel this groan in their heart. Yep. And I said, well, that's because Jesus is in you. That's right. He is burning to yep. come back. Mm-hmm. And so when we start participating with that. That's right. There's there's grace and there's wind and that's all that you found. You were probably uh early the Lord was doing something yeah decades yep. ago. Preparing. But now but preparing but now there's just a wind, isn't there? There really this. is. And all I'm doing is adding language to what I think the spirit's already doing in people's hearts. But I know this, and we're trying not to come up short. I want to address this, the prayer movement. We're glad that thousands of people have come out and prayed over the last four years here in Wichita, that it's happening in Kansas and multiple communities, uh, people are gathering together. But the end game of this is not having four to five big prayer meetings in a city. The end game of this is that every church has a culture of prayer, that they're learning to pray. And again, that just takes agreement with the word, a praying pulpit will beget a praying pew. Yeah. <laughs> so we get leaders that are committed to Acts 4 that are actually calling prayer meetings, doing prayer meetings, um, um, and giving themselves that to learn because I had to learn. Prayer meetings are wonderful to me. I think Isaiah 56, 7 promises us that this is not going to be dreary prayer. It's joy. There's joy in my house of prayer. The presence of God is the best on the planet. And prayer meetings are where we interact with him. So I think, uh, yeah, leaders need to step into it by faith before they have the feeling. Yeah, yeah. They got to step into it by it's faith really before they get the. I tell you, the feelings will come. I did it by faith. Get up morning after morning, uh, rubbing sleep out of my eyes. I yeah. go, oh, I go again on a Tuesday. It's cold. It's winter. But I went, went. I never regretted going after I got there, and my emotions and my heart changed to where I loved prayer meetings. Okay, so if I'm a disciple and I'm wanting to start out, where do I start out learning to pray? Yeah, take me to the yeah. to the Lord's Prayer. Luke or, eleven. Luke, Luke 11. eleven and Matthew six. Uh, Luke 11 is such the query where the apostles ask, teach us to pray. He's praying. They had seen, I mean, Jesus is having some good prayer meetings. He's constantly praying, but he has prayer meetings where like he turns translucent white 
He's shining it. And yeah. Elijah and Moses shows up. That's a good prayer meeting if Moses and Elijah yes. show up for your prayer yes. meeting, okay? So they see him, some of them having these, and they know the power of his ministry is his prayer life with his They've father. They've watched that, haven't they? It's the prayer. Everything that's coming out and manifesting is coming out from his relationship with his father. Yeah. So they go, teach us to pray. So he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Almost everyone probably knows the Lord's Prayer at some measure, but sometimes its familiarity has has drained it of the glory of what it is. The greatest prayer ever, the most anointed prayer prophet teacher ever, when asked, how do I pray, gave them the Lord's Prayer. So I've given myself since the 80s to praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And protect us from sin and Satan. Lead us not temptation. I walk through them every day. I start with father and sonship. I'm not going to pray like a slave. I've got to get myself oiled and confident. I'm not begging of a reluctant father. I've got a father. Then I go to his glory. Then I go to his kingdom and his will like in heaven. Then I'm on, give me some food to eat and my money. Help me be clean with everybody. Forgiveness, not an unoffended heart. And then protect me from sin and Satan. You know, no temptation, that evil one. And I'm I'm telling you, the, the copus, it's such a full glorious fullness. I get done praying and I just feel like I, you know, because Jesus had given us this amazing prayer. Then the next part of that in Luke 11 is keep doing it. Keep doing it. Pattern prayer. Here's the glory of how you can do it. Not legalistic. I don't use all those words. I use the pattern of it. Pray for his glory, then go. But then keep doing it because he's saying the friend won't get up. Yeah. Because he's the friend late at night that the other friend needs a bread. He'll get up because the guy kept knocking. And he's saying, it's going to feel like in this realm, God is a sleepy, unresponsive friend. He's not. Right. But you keep knocking because there's lots of things going on in the spirit realm. I mean, Daniel 10 will show us that Gabriel was held up bringing an answer to a praying Daniel by a demonic force, Prince of Persia. In 21 days, he had to pray and fast. I don't think Daniel set out to pray for Daniel. 21 days. He wanted it now. And Gabriel says the answer, when he finally gets there, it was immediate. But there was war in the spirit realm getting the answer there. So we pray and we labor while whatever's going on in the spirit realm and we keep persisting. So I think that you're talking about there is a waiting in prayer, isn't there? There is. And you got to look. I mean, Luke 18, 1 through 7 is going to do the widow and the judge. And she keeps bothering me. I don't fear God. I don't fear man. But this woman's driving me crazy. I'm giving her what she wants. And he gives them that parable, Luke 18, 1, so they will always persevere. They would never lose heart. Yeah. Because we lose heart. This prayer and perseverant prayer is one of the dynamic, glorious ways that we manifest faith. I walk by faith. How do I walk by faith? Okay, yeah, I'm believing the gospel, right. and I'm believing he's in me. I'm believing his word. And what but prayer is the is the really the manifestation of a real life of faith, where I'm trusting. I'm trusting. I'm good. God's hearing me. I get my answer sometimes quick. Sometimes it takes a year. I mean, um, George Mueller prayed for five guys yes. to be saved. First one saved in a couple months. The next two are saved in ten years. He kept praying for ten years. Wow. The fourth one saved 25 years later. I'm like, many of us quit after a month or two or a year. Then the last one got saved after he died 52 years later, after he started praying. This guy gets born again. I'm like, where is that? I'll never quit. I'll never quit. And in the process, I'm actually having relationship with my father. My prize isn't just the answer. It's I get my daddy. I get relationship with him. We get to wrestle this thing out together. It's a glorious process. Yeah, it is. And it's such a hard thing, isn't it, in our instant society? 
We want our McDonald's. That's we exactly want, right. We want everything right now. That's right. I can go get food. I want my Big Mac. Yeah. I don't want to have to wait. Many people who say prayer doesn't work are people who've prayed three to five to ten times. And I'm like, pray a thousand times. <laughs> right. And then come tell me of it. Because he's faithful. If we ask, we receive. Yeah. So then if you were a ministry leader. Yep. Then where would you have a ministry leader? If you're pastoring a church, mm-hmm. how do you where do you start this? You see, you get a vision in your heart, but where would you would you preach on prayer? You'd start modeling it in some small meetings. Where yeah. would you start? I'm I'm meeting with leaders, and my challenge is Acts 6 4. I hope you as a leader are prioritizing prayer over ministry of the word, even in your own personal life. Activate the secret place because it's hard to talk about something and lead in it with integrity if you're not doing it at some level. You don't have to be perfect at it. We're all growing forever. But I want to, if you're a leader, really activate your secret. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Train yourself. Praying the Word of God. We're trying to raise up 100,000 intercessors in Kansas are praying the scriptures. I mean, this is the prayer material right here that we pray. So get that. Then start a meeting and do the same thing with a group of people. This isn't rocket science. Get them together. Maybe add a worship song or two and then teach them how to pray the Word. Teach the Lord's Prayer. It'll be a joy to your heart as you escort them into this, but you just got to, we don't just learn by reading we learn by doing. <laughs> and you got to step into doing this, listening, training your people. And when we dis- when I disciple people, sometimes I'm not just telling them to pray. I'll say sometimes, watch me pray. Okay? Right. I want you to keep your eyes open. <laughs> I'm going to use my Bible and I want yeah. you to watch me actually engage in prayer. Yeah, and I think of Dawson Trot- Trotman you mm. know, that, that started the, the Navigators. Yes. He'd get up early in the morning and he'd go up the hill and he'd take his disciples with him. Yes. And he'd pray for an hour or two and that's how he we taught. We see Jesus doing that. He saw us. So I think there is a discipleship that discipleship. you've got to equip people how to pray. And I hope discipleship grows in the context of in prayer. Jesus yeah. is, is discipling them in a context of prayer about his words. Yeah, but I really just think the key for me in these last years has been connecting that word presence to yes. prayer. I was just talking to Randy Friesen. He directs Multiply mm-hmm. Mission Group. And and he was we were talking about this. And he says, really, the key, it's this simple and it's this hard. Yes. He said, the key is be in the anointing. If yep. you find that, leave. Yes. He said, go to your secret place. Yep. Go to the, the closet. Yep. And you just pray. You ask the Lord to search your heart. You confess. And then as soon as you can, you just go out by faith. Yes. And I think that's the key to, to pray. We, this doesn't have to be hard. No. It's no. simple. It's just waiting on the Lord. That's exactly right. And then right. just taking simple phrases and just praying them. Sometimes I'll, I'll take a, a phrase throughout the day. We've talked about this. And right. just that phrase throughout the day. That's really good. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Mm. Fill me with the Spirit. Pray in the apostolic. There's, that's that's really all good. There's lots of ways to do this, right? Amen. And you just got to step into doing it. And so the, I think we're in the middle of a house of prayer yeah. cultural revolution. Yeah. It's a cultural revolution. Yeah. I think the zeal, John will actually, he's the only gospel writer that will yeah. show that Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry too. The beginning of his ministry. John too will say he went to the temple and just tore through it. And it says they remembered zeal for his house consumes him. So I promise you, as we're hurling toward the second coming, yeah. that God's house shall be a house of prayer. And he's moving with zeal to create that because he wants us to yeah. be a house full of presence not just principles. 
We've been a principle, and I love the principles, but the principles yeah. without the presence are just another religion. Yeah. And so he's causing his house to be full of presence, full of just an encounter with the Lord, living in every, no one complain. I've never heard anybody complain about being filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. touching the Lord, being right. touched by his presence. No one comes out of that complaining. Like, yeah. That's the best thing that's ever yeah. happened to me. We're moving toward, well, that'll be the normal, not the anomaly. Right now, it's the anomaly. Yeah. And so I've said to some people, we don't want to get distracted that somehow we're having a bunch of big meetings that we have a prayer culture. We don't yet in Wichita. We don't have it yet in the state, but we're headed there. And so we want to continue to pray for this and for leaders to step up, to know that it's a biblical thing that they cause their houses to be houses but of it prayer. is happening. It is happening. I was in Clay We're Center this week. People are praying there. Salina, Abilene. The Holy Spirit's on the move. He's on the move. So, yeah. well, Sam, can you pray for the pray for anybody listening? Just yes. that the Lord would encourage their hearts. I'm just you know, as you've listened, hope that there um, maybe you've been praying, or maybe there was some discouragement in your heart. We just mm. want to pray that the Lord would again freshly encourage right. you as we head to 2020 that we would make a new um, kind great. of new zeal to prayer. So pray for that, and then pray for the church as well. Yeah, we'll do we'll that. close that way. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you, our Father in heaven. Thank you that you rule and reign in heaven, that Jesus, you sit with all authority in heaven and earth at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for taking us that we're so far away and bringing us near, breaking the power of sin, the, the penalty of sin off of our lives through the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that you ever liveth to intercede, is what it says, the, and that you put the spirit in us that's, that intercedes for us when we don't have words with groans and moans that we can't understand. Thank you for your help, your prayer life for us, your redemption for us, we thank you for it. Lord, I pray for those that might be listening right now that might feel, yes, I agree, but I feel like a failure. They've got shame or condemnation. Would you free them from that in Jesus' name? We know there's much at stake that we have a prayer life. The enemy maybe wars against nothing as much as this, the prayer life of the church, the prayer life of the individual. So we are warred against our flesh, is resistant against, but even in the midst of that, we thank you that you have the victory. So I pray that people would receive the mercy, the forgiveness that they might feel guilt for, for lack of prayer. They would then get up and step forward and begin to pray. Holy Spirit, empower their hearts to actually have excitement and joy and this conversational worshiping kind of lifestyle. Lord, I pray for the, you know, for the fulfillment of, of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that we could pray without mm-hmm. ceasing and that you would get, you called people by name and it was on purpose. It was the spirit of who they are. Jacob's no longer Jacob. He's Israel because he's a prince. You've called your church a name. You called it the house of prayer. That identifies the core identity of who we are. So I pray for that to uh, happen within churches all over the city, the state, the nations and the earth. God, I thank you that you're zealously moving to produce a house of prayer in your people. Jesus, I pray you'd become center in your church once again, that we wouldn't lean on reason. We trust in you with all of our heart. We thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this great day we live in. And we just pray for grace to step into it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, this is fun. fun. Yeah, we'll amen. be back in another week or two with another episode. Mm-hmm.